Hello and welcome to the very first episode of I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things, um, starring, I guess starring, you know what, let's start with a bang, um, starring myself, Stephen, and my good friend Vaughn. Hello. Hello. It's our first episode here of this uh, new show we're trying out, starting off yeah. with No Time to Die. Yeah, um, because this is such a, I mean, this is such a big film and is the, I mean, in this, um, let's go. Okay time until first mention of the pandemic here we go in this wonderful <laughs> pandemic um that we are all still experiencing um, for multiple reasons this is one of the many films that's supposed to save cinema um because that has happened so many times now and this has been the biggest one of those so far i guess because it was this was also wasn't this the first like big covid delay film i think so i i think it, it seems like the one that's been dragged along the longest mm. at this point I remember this is how long ago it was COVID delayed. I remember hearing it was COVID delayed and being like, you're delaying a film for COVID? That seems a bit, I don't know about that. <laughs> because this, that was a different world then, people. And I was like, mm, that sounds like a, I remember in my head being like, I'm sure there's another reason. Busy release schedule, huh? You want yeah. an excuse? Uh, no, they were very correct and I was very wrong. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they delayed it, delayed it, delayed it. Eventually, maybe they brought it forward a tiny bit. Um, it came out, it cost a ridiculous amount of money. Um, it needed to make and still needs to make an even more ridiculous amount of money to like be at all profitable. We'll see if that happens. Um, it was also like a a troubled production. Do you remember who was originally attached to um, direct this movie? I don't. It's been so long. I do mm, remember it changing directors a couple of times, but I don't remember who it was. Yeah, so I, I, I'm sure I'm missing a step. This is just based on memory. I haven't been bothered to, to look up, which <laughs> reflects my thoughts on the movie because it left me with complete apathy. Um, but and So the last two, obviously, are Mendes movies, aren't they? Um, so he did Skyfall, which... Do you like Skyfall? I like Skyfall a lot. I Excellent. despise Spectre. Yeah, Spectre is bad. He did. He did Skyfall, which is great, um, and then Spectre, which is bad. The story I always tell about Spectre is I went to see it at the cinema with my partner Emma, um, who it was a late night screening and she fell asleep like half an hour in woke up like an hour later turned to me and asked me what she missed and I very grumpily said nothing and stand by those <laughs> words um, god that movie um, also this movie but yeah Danny Boyle was um, originally um, signed That's right. for the next James Bond film which is kind of cool I mean Danny Boyle is at this point, not the most reliable of directorial voices, but has a directorial voice, is an interesting filmmaker, has made some films that I utterly adore. Um, I'm guessing you are the same. I don't know if I'm that familiar, honestly. Um, off I just the top presume of my that head, everyone I... loves train spotting. I just presume that everybody loves train spotting because it's train spotting. I'm sure I would love train spotting if I had seen it, but it's not one I've gotten to. So Okay, I recommend you train spotting. And it's All sequel, right. T2, Train Spotting. <laughs> um, interesting name for movie. So yeah, Danny Boyle, um, interesting filmmaker, um, was an interesting voice for Bond. I guess it's not particularly the kind of direction you go to. And then um, that fell apart um, and he moved on. And we ended up with Kari Joji uh, Fukunaga, who I know as the true detective guy. Um, that's why I was excited about it, because he directed the entirety of True Detective right. season one, um, which... I adore. Um, yeah, agreed. One of my favorite pieces of television. Just brilliant. Mm, absolutely brilliant. He also did a good version of Jane Eyre, um, um, which is not always the case. And I quite like Jane Eyre. His version is good. And he did Beasts of No Nation, which I still have not got round to seeing. Have not but seen people that either. that I like, like it a lot. He's an interesting filmmaker. He's visually usually quite a stunning filmmaker. 
Um, the stuff in True Detective was just outstanding. I think everyone goes back to that one sequence in True Detective, that um, long single take. Yeah, great sequence. That is better than anything in Time <laughs> to Die. Um, and thus we end with this movie. This movie was also went got given... Uh, a few people got brought in to do some rewrites on it. Um, is it Feedballer Bridge that was... Yeah, I think that's the, the main one, which I people were understandably looking forward to having a, a female writer on the team and that being that specific writer comes with expectations as well someone who's made their name rightfully so at um progressive but like edgy in a good way material with like strong voices for women but also strong voices for like atypical experiences right. um, and atypical kind of people just in general um so a lot of promise come to this movie um, and it, again, being this very clear, um, Daniel Craig has not wanted to... Do you remember when Daniel Craig tried to quit Bond um, and the studio paid for him to do a, I think, off-Broadway run of Othello in which he could play Iago he, <laughs> just because they, they knew they needed to artistically kind of like satiate him because he was like, no, Bond is ruining my artistic drive. They're like, we'll give you a Shakespeare play. Go do that. And it like, does seem like Bond again. it does seem like he tried to quit several times before they actually let him retire from the role. And you know what? Let's start this spoiler thing off with a bang. And the way the clip, <laughs> you know, I bet he was in that boardroom being like, "All right, I'll do this. You kill me at the end. I die. <laughs> I die in this movie. We'll even foreshadow it in the title. I don't care. I die in this film because I'm not coming back." And. I don't know why they decided to foreshadow it in the title because it takes <laughs> all of the impact out of that moment. It's so obvious. There's oh, no, oh, I no. mean, the whole time I'm like, yeah, the, of course yep. he's dying. Yeah, which I guess would work if like the film, to, to jump into it, if, if the film, there are loads of movies where it builds up to a, a known tragedy, even if it's just like, you think it's going to happen. Right. But this film doesn't have a lingering sense of death over the whole of it. It has like, ideas of finality and ideas of age but very poorly articulated but at no point does it seem like a requiem it doesn't seem like a march towards Tragic Nation it just feels like a this would be an edgy way to end a James Bond movie what if James Bond died right all that all that atmosphere comes in just at the very end in that final sequence and it just seems so pointless it just doesn't <laughs> work at all I, don't, I mean I don't know what they're aim was but i mean it seems like it worked for a lot of people but i just don't i don't see it at all no i i don't get it i don't get it at all so overall well, what do you think of this movie i think it's bad i think i agree, I agree. it's a bad movie <laughs> i think i like it more than specter i think specter for some reason just nothing about that movie works for me it's mm. i can't there's no suspension of disbelief in that movie for me, and I don't buy anything that's happening. And more than yeah. anything, I just can't stand Christoph Waltz's character and everything that they decided to do with that character, I think is just so horrible because it, it really just cheapens the movies that I like that came before it. You know, I like Casino mm. Royale and Skyfall a yes. lot. And then it just kind of totally undermines all of that tension and action in those movies for this stupid character. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I think you are right. I mean, realistically, I, I've, I've not revisited Spectre for a reason because I have no wish to ever watch a movie again in my life and hopefully <laughs> will never watch it again in my life. But I feel I'm more angry at this film because it doubles down on what was already crap. It may not be as bad as Spectre 
but it's just like it takes a thing that was terrible and was like what if we did more of that and right. what if we really lent into this like also i was made angry by this film more than i was made angry by spectre in terms of certain choices and like political directions it goes whereas spectre was just mind-numbingly dull to me <laughs> it's very much that ex- it's probably a worse experience and it's probably a worse film but I was actively irritated by No Time to Die, as opposed to just like, ugh, about Spectre. I guess I'd rather not be irritated. I feel like I gave No Time to Die a little more slack because I feel like it was kind of forced into this position. You know, like Spectre sets all of this up and it's kind of like, well, now where yeah. do you, you have to, you have to <laughs> follow up on that. So you get these people that are kind of stuck with this, this stuff. And I feel like Fukunaga does his best to avoid that but it's just impossible to get away from it and so it, it ends up totally bringing down the movie well yeah this is where you get a film where directors leave and you get rewrites in it's right. like, and then it and then it just like balloons in cost to the point where it needs to be the biggest thing in the world it's also just it is 12 films in one like it, there's, there's so, so much, much movie in this movie it is ridiculous and there's maybe like there's a bond film in here um which is a very linear bond film of we introduce an obvious antagonist who wants to take over the world for James Bond reasons and James Bond with the intelligence service and people that you know with the help of glamorous locations, glamorous people, glamorous gadgets, glamorous cars, right. must stop that. And like, that's like an hour long arc in a three hour three movie. Hour film. So long. And I think you agree, but I would say about the hour long arc is like, because some people, and I understand this, are like, okay, yeah, it's not great, but it does the Bond movie things. I like the Bond movie things. But me watching it, I was just like, it's a very rote version of the Bond movie things. When it goes back to just Agreed. being a Bond film, I'm like, I've seen 24 of these. Totally um, agree. I don't just want this again. And the way it's doing it again just feels so repetitive and so dull. And actually, I think because it pretends to be a different thing, it makes me hate, hate the sameness more <laughs> when it goes back to it, when it's just like, we're doing this now, but we're not. Here's the old film. I think it also really loses the that sort of grounded feeling that this this version of the franchise started with you know casino royale Mm. is so grounded and gritty and james bond feels very fallible and he gets beaten up and bruised the entire movie and this movie he's back to being kind of like this invincible god of spy warfare and all (laughs) all of the technology is just ridiculous and it just seems so so totally different from what they were trying to start this off with to the extent where it's like the only bit that i kind of liked and this is this is obviously an ironic statement my ironic like about the last sequence is it just felt like the golden iron 64 game at the end like it was like a low-res facility (laughs) he's just like going through to the extent he got a gadget that was just this gadget just opens every door this is the open every door gadget like we don't really care anymore you have a watch that just does what it needs to do you know what your watch does your watch does what the plot needs it to do hold it near a thing you can get in now which felt so video game of being like yes i just have the lock picking skill and now i just go through and i'm in this bunker speaking of that watch i like how that watch was like chekhov's gunned all the way until the end (laughs) where it just turns into the cheesiest one-liner and it's so terrible when he when he uses the EMP on the the henchman's eye, oh. <laughs> I can't even remember what the line is, but it's so um, bad. He says that it's mind blowing. I'm pretty oh, sure he says that it's that, mind blowing. Even worse um, than I thought it was. Yeah. I, so yeah, which I, to to we had to segue all around all over this place, but 
the guy's eye, which is a recurring. So there is a. I hope you would have to explain this because presumably, listening you've watched this film, but you know what? Just don't. Whatever. If you have watched it, I'm sorry. If you haven't, don't. Um, so there is this. The int- because it's this goddamn movie. They just love to introduce things for the first time ever, and then just have the entire film rely on them. Right. And it does it like twelve times. So it does it in the very first scene of. I was saying to my my friends after this of I feel like I watched a film that included the film it was a sequel to in its film, where they wanted to do a film about this villain who was important to a previous character backstory, and they're like, crap, we actually forgot to put this character in her backstory, and we made a move of her already. All right, let's just change the opening to make it so he is integral to her backstory, and let's pretend that was the plan all along, and let's just roll with it. And then you meet this guy who's got a robot eye, and you're like, he's got a robot eye? And that becomes the most important thing that then underpins another like huge succession of plot points. And it just snowballs into utter nonsense. But the robot eye thing leads me to another toxic legacy of James Bond, which is the view on um, difference and physical difference and the physiognomic view of the world that it has in which anyone with any kind of like perceived atypicality or like specifically facial difference is seen as being a villain to the extent that a lot of like huge not huge because you know the charity sector but a lot of like notable charities have like stood out against this movie i mean i don't know about the american film industry but the british film institute to bfi um as of two years ago maybe a little bit more um have started to refuse funding to any film that shows someone with a um facial difference as a villainous character but this is james bond so they don't need bfi funding right. so that doesn't even matter anymore but the zenith of this is um rami malek's character it seems it's hard to believe because b- between quantum of solace and specter before it this movie these the series has some terrible villains mm. but rami malek is <laughs> easily the worst of all of them i mean I don't like anything about his character and his performance, I think, is just awful. Have you seen Jupiter Ascending? I have not. Um, Are you aware of Eddie Redmayne's role in Jupiter Ascending? I am. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Now, I like Jupiter Ascending kind of because of its faults as well as in spite of its faults. And Eddie Redmayne, who I don't think is a very good actor at all, is um, terrible in that film. But it's not because of him, it's because of the film. It's the right kind of terrible for that film. If he thinks he's doing right. something different, and it, and it fits. It fits in a semi-ironic way. But this is like that performance. It's the closest to that performance that I've seen in a different film. But the tone of this film is so wildly divergent from yeah. Jupiter's ending. It has no goodwill from, from the audience, or at least from me. I'm sure they don't like the movie. They are wrong, but it's fine. <laughs> um, but you've got this cartoonish, ridiculous, let's have some fun with voices very Malick character with the let's make him disfigured by some fire because James Bond. And I mean, so remind me, what is what what's what is his plan? I was gonna say, I mean, even before you get to his plan, I was gonna say I couldn't tell you why he's a villain. Something happened to his family and it was so quickly glossed over and vague. Okay, let's put this out together. Even, I don't even know why he's right. disfigured in the first place. I, I can remember that. Okay, so he was... Okay, this may be all wrong, listener. So we'll find <laughs> out. His family... God, this is, Again, it introduces all of this in one movie as if it's been like five movies of continuity. So his family 
Well, you learned at the beginning that he hates Spectre and wants to kill Spectre. Like, ah, he's anti-Spectre because, you know, that makes sense because they're cartoonish evil organization. But no, his family were Spectre poisoners that were making poison for Spectre. And they had a Spectre poison plant where they made the poison. A convenient secret island. We'll get to the secret island right. later. He owns an island. I don't know why he owns an island. He owns a disputed island. Um, in international waters. We'll get back to that. That's a weird thing that happens because very where weird. it is is also very, very strange because, you know, you, you only live twice as a movie, so have a secret island. So they were Spectre poisoners, but then for some reason that I forget, they'd Spectre didn't want the Spectre poisoners anymore because they need conflict. So Spectre sent a Spectre agent to Spectre the Spectre poisoners to get rid of them. Um, and he didn't like that they got rid of them and he survived because one person must survive every killing. Of course. It's message of this film. Of course. <laughs> like, guy with robot eye is usually the guy that survives every killing, so he can be it five times. Blofeld survives one killing because he's literally not in the room, but also James Bond survives that one killing. So this is this is a trend in the James right. Bond world. You, you always leave one. Um, so he decides to go to a random house that will become important later, where there's a house right, where in front of it is a frozen lake and behind it is like a road and like forests and stuff. So when you're running out of the house to escape, of course you take the frozen lake route because that's the way to go. Of course. Later you find out they could have just left by the road, but hey, it's not <laughs> as exciting. Um, so he goes to there to kill the people, kill the Spectre people that Spectre killed his Spectre family because he doesn't like Spectre anymore. And he tells a young girl and the mother, and the mother drops some red wine on the carpet. That's very important because she's a bad mother. Because because it's a movie, we must kill a mother in the first five minutes because of that's course. what movies do. Which which in our household is a running joke of every time. And I was like, how how long will the mum survive in this movie? Oh, five minutes. That's pretty long for a mum. There you go. Jesus Christ, cinema, stop killing every mum. So he goes to to kill the mum because he wants to kill the dad, but the dad's not there. But he decides that it would be more effective to kill the dad's family, but he only kills the mom and not the kid. Yeah. Does he ever kill the dad? Does the dad come back? I don't know. I don't know I how don't the dad remember. ever died. It might be explained. I couldn't tell Maybe you. Maybe that's the no time to die. Maybe the dad had no time to die. <laughs> <laughs> that's the overhanging thing. Um, so he kills the mom and then tries to kill, but the, the daughter has a gun. <laughs> So shoots him several times. I mean, we've just been both together actually watching a bunch of Halloween movies, but in the most Michael Myers movie <laughs> ever, just like puts like five bullets into this dude. And Doesn't dude matter. Drags him outside to the front rather than the back because, you know, the lake. And he just goes, does a Michael Myers like, <gasps> and he's like, I'm alive again now. And so she runs over and falls into the ice. And then he's like, hmm. He saves her even though... I thought he wanted them dead. Yeah, so I got really confused because then I thought, because we find out then that, because then it does this jarring transition of <laughs> she gets saved from the water and it cuts and you're like, oh no, it's Madeline from the last movie. She was in the last movie. Oh, now she has a backstory. I thought she lacked a backstory. There you go. I wondered what happened to her as a child in this European village. Of course, very there important. There you go. Um, so I presumed for about an hour of the film that she was working for him this whole time because I presumed that he would have saved her and raised her 
And it seems like that's what it sets up. Like Blofeld mm. has this whole thing about how, oh, you don't know all her secrets. And then, yeah. But and then he, he. <laughs> he abandons her without letting her explain anything. And then later in the movie, they're just like, no, that was a joke, I guess. Like she wasn't. It's very strange. Yet, you don't know her secrets because, spoiler, she hasn't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out, turns out she was a goodie and she grabbed her stomach towards the beginning because she's pregnant. Um, is it yours is it not yours well it's got your eyes very little oh. focus on that it's just kind of there's like two minutes where she says the kid's not yours and then the next time we see the kid she's like yeah i was kidding to which i as audience member was like yeah fair enough makes sense that's actually a better plot point to be like yeah actually i've moved on but i'm getting drawn back that's right if you want the film that's like what the if the film has a theme that's one of its themes is the idea of like people moving on but getting pulled back it doesn't it does that very badly that's the thing is like no actually no which is just the film in general is just the biggest like cake and eating it competition i've seen in my life right oh. it seems so stupid to give him a child and then <laughs> and then kill him in the same movie and be like look it's so sad because he had to leave his child. child and i'm like i don't know i, I just <laughs> met this child I mean, he, oh. he doesn't even know her i mean <laughs> Wait, he what? made breakfast tell, for her once tell everyone the bit of how the child escapes the evil plot of the man the man decides that he must <laughs> kidnap the child and because all right so i've missed out a joke oh god this movie sucks there's so, so, much, there's so much going on <laughs> so this and this is only one plot in the film this is the hour-long bond plot so this guy lucifer satan whatever he's called lucifer satan his name is lucifer satan <laughs> your right. name is that's, lucifer satan it is. jesus christ he's called lucifer satan i'm like that's Luke jesus christ movie you cannot call your villain lucifer <laughs> satan and just swap out two letters Ugh! so he decides to leave Madeline for her entire adult life until she gets to be a trained psychiatrist that can talk to Blo. His plan is for her to become a psychiatrist that can talk to Blofeld, and then yeah. he's going to use her as his one egress point to put his magic poison on that can kill anyone that's related to you or that you touch. So then she touches Blofeld's hands and he dies. I'm like, you've had this the whole time. Surely one person you knew walked near this man. And wasn't that the original, wasn't the design of that weapon by MI6 supposed to be that you didn't need to make it so personal and that eventually it would find its way to the target? Like, I thought that was the yes! goal. So it seems weird that he had to find the one person that could ever talk to him. Like, it seems like it would have gotten there but, eventually. Like, he made it because he wanted Blofeld to die because he hates Spectre, but he, but he also just, I don't know really what he wants, but he, he didn't like, I'm pretty sure he didn't like Blofeld, but I'm not sure, because if he made the poison, he sold it to Blofeld to begin with, but then MI6 made the poison, because it says that MI6 made the poison, but then he has the poison factory, so is he just replicated the poison? Did he make the poison? A lot of really good questions that I don't think the movie answers at all. And I saw someone with this movie like, this is actually all of the stuff you paid attention. The movie's boring, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so remind me. So he decides he decides that he fancies Madeline. So right, he they inserts are, himself back into her life. They're madly in love, but also he's still not over Vesper from Casino Royale 15 years ago for some reason. Oh God, yeah, that's the, yeah, the, that's the beginning of the movie of Jesus Christ. But, but Lucifer Satan also loves Madeline because she's a woman in a Bond film, 
So he decides, he sets up something where he's just like, Bond, you can have the woman or the daughter, and what? Or the save the world. And I need you to tell this plot point because I want to hear it again. Tell the audience or remind the audience how the young daughter escapes from Lucifer Satan. In my memory, she just says, I don't want to be here anymore. And he goes, okay, yeah. see ya. <laughs> yes. He's like, I have he this precious thing. Gives up. My one piece of collateral against Mr. Bond. And it is the one thing I will use to melt his cold heart. Ha ha ha. You're my child now. And she bites him. And he's like, oh, you're feral thing. How dare you? She's like, can I go home? Okay. Yeah, I don't, that, I don't know if that was on purpose. Like, it, his plans just don't ever seem to add up at all. In the end, and it's, of course, convenient back. for him. But it just, I don't understand what any of it is supposed <laughs> to be. So what is his plan? He has a plan. I could not tell you what his plan is. His plan for most of the movie... Can we which, try? Can we try to tell the plan? Let's try what his plan let's, out let's see what we can what we can piece together. So for most of the movie, his plan is to take down every remainder of Spectre because he hates Spectre. Yes. But that happens won- yeah. in the first hour because... Mm. Oh, Spectre are dead. No, we thought they were the baddies before he was Spectre. No. They programmed the virus to kill everyone in the big Spectre meeting hall. So they all die. Because they know a Russian, and all Russians are evil. And then he kills Blofeld through Madeline. No, through James. Oh, you're right. Through Madeline. Via Madeline through James. (laughs) (laughs) And and then after that, he doesn't know what to do. So he just decides to strangle Blofeld for a while after talking to him for five minutes. That's the thing that happens. Yeah, that seemed that seemned very strange to me. Like they just had to figure out a way to get Bond to touch him. So they just kind (laughs) of God, in a different director's hands, there are so many ways to get Bond to touch Blofeld. Like, the psychosexual tension of that scene, they could have, like, really amped up. They could have gone places with that. Which they even uh, lean into in Skyfall with Javier Bardem's character. <laughs> Which is in places its own problem because of just, like, <laughs> queer-coding villainous ideas. But but still, movie, like, be more fun. Be more fun, movie. But his plan, he has a plan. His plan. So he kills Blofeld, and then I feel mm. like that's the end of his plan. He dismantles Spectre, and so, but the movie still has to keep him as the villain. So then he's just like, I guess I'll take over the world too. But yeah, it's not clear at all what he wants to actually do. He has this virus, which can essentially mm-hmm. be programmed to kill anybody he chooses. Everybody. <laughs> and he's just kind of like, I'm going to use it. I'm going to kill a bunch of people, like politicians and stuff. And you're like, what is your goal? Like, it's not clear what he wants to do he doesn't seem like he, he just has a wants monologue to... it doesn't he has a monologue i don't think he actually explains anything it is monologue is one of those things where it's, you know like those the worst arguments are when it's like well actually i reject the initial statement that you made and then you based everything of that he was just like people just want to die when no one's looking i'm like what i didn't understand his motivations in any way after he was done with Spectre. He he thinks that people just want to die quietly in the corner. Is his belief about humanity is that secretly we right. always want everyone to shut up so we can just die. So he's enabling us to do so by selling a weapon that can be programmed to kill anyone that's like related to the I target, guess? and what? it can't get washed off because 
that the plot wants it to be not washed off. So then they can have the ending where he's like, no, I can't. I, I think my partner and I agree with her was really annoyed about the ending of like the ultimate like James Bond thing. Like, well, if I can't touch a woman, I don't care. I don't care about like <laughs> being able to like see my child. And, right. Like, that seems I love. That seems so stupid to me because that is exactly it. He's like, you can never touch them. And I'm like, okay, you, you could live with that. And he's like, I can't do it. I have to I'm die. There's literally, literally no other option. I don't care about seeing them. It's over. I can't touch anyone. I mean, I get the risk. I understand that if he slipped up once, he would kill his family. But like, PPE exists. We know this now. I guess they didn't when they made the movie. I guess they didn't. <laughs> so I guess we in the COVID world are being like, well, there you go. Put a mask, dude. Like, <laughs> I'd watch a James Bond Bubble Boy movie, though. <laughs> the Wonder <laughs> Sequel. <laughs> just Daniel. James Bond will return in Bubble Boy. It's, I'd it's watch a different that. kind of Thunderball, like Thunder Bubble Ball. <laughs> it would be much more entertaining than No Time to Die, I think. Hmm. Actually, this does sound like a fun sequel. We can make him survive. He can survive that. And then he's in a bubble. Yeah, but he's such a physical man that he, he can't not touch everyone around him. As, as was actually foreshadowed in the I can't talk to Blofeld without strangling him for five minutes. What a weird scene. What a weird mm. movie. Mm. I'm making it sound... My problem is we're making it sound fun in like a... What a bad movie. It's crushingly boring. It's Yeah, it's not fun. I mean, I, I will say that there are choice sequences that are entertaining but there are not that many of them in a three-hour mm. movie and most of it is Rami Malek doing a terrible job and expositing yes, and it's just it's just not fun uh the iconography they choose for him so obviously there's the the ableism in this, this presentation right. um but there's in the most the most James Bond thing ever which is we'll, we'll get to my wide raft of political complaints of the film but they choose that the end base is this just like, it's a Cold War bunker covered in hammer and sickles, but it's also Japanese at the same time. You're like, the secret island does not make what? any sense at all. But then you're like, Robbie Mellon's got nothing to do with any of that. I'm like, I have this secret Japanese USSR base. I'm like, hmm? Right, and it's like, a, it's... Got it was a missile bunker, so they have a bunch mm. of missile silos. But then he repurposed it to grow plants that so he can people. make more poison <laughs> to sell because he wants to sell the poison. But is it about money? I don't know. He seems to he has an island. He doesn't seem want to want for money. I right, and it's so weird because he's like two characters in one. Like one of his villains is like this evil botanist that makes these poisonous plants. <laughs> But he also just has this biovirus that can just do anything. So I don't know why he has to grow yeah. any other poison when he has this thing that's being manufactured. Yeah. It's like, I'm not sure what the two different things are for. He's been made obsolete, I guess, by thing. It's, 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 it's like a, a reflection on how like more jobs can be automated. He's like, I like the artisanal poison. I like to grow my plants in my poison garden. And you know, you make the ultimate poison with your... MI6. Oh, Jesus Christ. What bits did you like? I like the, the opening sequence after... The <laughs> There's opening like sequence. two opening sequences. I like the opening sequence in Italy, I think, is, is a fun yeah, chase scene. The first opening sequence, I think, is terrible. Yes. 
Um, and what a way to start a film where it's just like, what is going on? Who are these people? I was irrationally angry at that very opening scene because I felt like it was setting something up that never happened. Like I assumed, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I assumed that in that scene, he was going to get his face burned and like she spills alcohol on the floor and she's got a mm. very standout cigarette and I thought that she would drop it and it would like set the house on fire and he would get burned up or something and no none of that happens he was just already burned and I was it was no no reason for me to be so angry about it but it just seemed like they were setting up a lot and then nothing happened and I also don't know how old he's supposed to be yeah that was my question I'm like that because that was Rami Malek at the beginning and I get he wears a mask they can be like maybe he was a toddler um but Right, you, they would, you would think they'd be around the same age at that point. I don't think Rami I, Malek and... I, I don't think they're that far apart in age, but... Well, yeah, especially because there is a huge age gap between um, Lance Du and Daniel Craig, which is yes. uncomfortable to watch on screen. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But the Italy scene, you, you like. You like the Italy scene. That makes it sound like you did not like it as much as I did. I think it's fine. Like I, I, I didn't love it. Um, I thought it was was decent, but at this point, I was always being like, I, "What? What? I don't. What is? What is going on in this movie? Like, what? What is this?" I was so annoyed, right. I guess, by the whole Vespalin, um, Madeline. The setup bit. of it is bad. I will definitely agree with that. But the car chase is 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 fun, and that that one stunt on the motorbike is really, really yeah. cool. I like the bit when he's like crouches down and lets that car flip over him i like the bit when he just like sits in the car and lets it take bullets and then just like does donuts um to shoot people with his gatling guns i like the sheep bit so there's some good bits in that sequence i do agree with you yeah there's there's i like the opening scene i i think when it just allows itself to be a fun action movie there are fun Mm. action scenes but it just constantly gets so bogged down in the plot i like the whole sequence in um in is that cuba um oh, that, they go that to the one bit of the film i think is great um, i think that entire sequence is great ana de armas is fantastic and i wish i could see a whole movie about her character yeah but i think but but not just that i i, I think why that sequence works for me is it sets up a different movie that's more ambitious and more interesting that i want the film to be absolutely of, so, so to link back to actually the so the opening sequence blends into the title sequence which the song is, is, is quite forgettable, but it's only quite forgettable because it's so clearly trying to evoke the melodies of the last few songs, right. which they've been doing for a while now. Like, it's just that that skyfall few notes just like keep coming in. And it's like, it's, the song is fine, whatever. It's not my kind of thing. It's fine. Um, but the iconography in the sequence is really interesting. So it's full of like, I mean, you're not, you're not British like I, but in the, in the thing, there's lots, there's this one central image where I think it's the Budasia statue, which is from London. It's like this huge, like, kind of like symbol of empire, basically. And it has this shield, which is like a Union Jack pattern on it. And which all these things are crumbling and falling down. It's cementing this key theme about like anti-colonialism and post-colonialism of this idea of like, here are the legacy of empire, which is James Bond. And we're seeing it all fall down. And it comes after a moment of great failure for James Bond where he thinks he can trust people and he cannot trust people. Right. And we know that he's left MI6 behind them. Like, that's really interesting. That's really, really interesting. And then we cut to this idea. It's and Unfortunately, the film's just not written very well. So all the dialogue around this is, is right. crap. But we cut to this idea that we cut away from James Bond for a little bit because we're going to MI6. Well, we'll get to a facility being raided that's got this secret virus in it. And then we find out that's an MI6 facility and MI6 have made this virus 
that is the entire problem for the rest of the movie. Exactly. So we have this clear stakes of intelligence agencies and the establishment are the bad guys, which makes sense in this common world. And Bond has edged towards this like a few times of the thing I work for is bad, but spying is bad. Spying is a bad thing and all this stuff sucks, um, which I think is now becoming a less controversial thing to say. And Bond realizes that they're the bad guys, which leads us to this Cuba sequence because he's trying to get off the grid Mm -hmm. and he's found by Felix Leiter of the CIA. So the CIA are after something, MI6 are after something, and the film's very very much implying that they want it as part of cover-up reasons. And the more and the more that we're reading at the moment of all these kind of things coming out, all these kind of scans coming out of the main business of intelligence operations is to cover up the heinous things that you are doing. And this seems very on brand. And what this culminates here when we go back here is this idea of Bond, when he goes to Cuba, sorry, is Bond is working with the CIA because he doesn't want to work with MI6 because he thinks they're up to bad stuff. Right. He's working adjacent to the CIA. He doesn't really want to be working with them as well. So you have this really fun dynamic where it's two intelligence agencies going after the same thing, which is this lovely cat and mouse sequence of their getting in each other's way, they're doing the right thing, it leads to some comic moments, and then you have Bond as this slightly adjacent set piece who doesn't really want to be of either of them, but also is still idealistically driven, but is confused. I'm like, this is a really interesting film of they're bad and they're bad, and where do I fit in this? And it's only that sequence that yeah. does any of that. And it's also the best action sequence, and you're right, um, Anadamas is, is, is the best actor in the film, and it's visually the most interesting sequence. And, yeah, it's really like, nice. It's choreographed the most interesting, and it's the one point where spectrosomization is actually quite fun. And that's that's the only scene in the film that's worth a damn. Right. I, and I think everything that you just said is part of why the movie ends up feeling so messy, because it does totally mm. set up this whole idea, and it's pretty clear about what it's setting up. Bond is now outside of MI6. He finds out they're doing very shady things, and then the movie yeah. ends up with like, Never mind, MI6 is good. We need them. They saved the day. <laughs> and it's like, it totally undermines all of that in the second half of the movie. And it just doesn't, I'm, I'm not sure what the, the attempt was at all. I know people aren't going to believe me that no one has said that of, I would be fine with the movie if it was just to MI6, the good guys again, because I expect that of it. Right. And like, I'm on its own terms. And I feel very similar to what I do about the Suicide Squad and be like, don't invoke these things. Exactly. If you're going to just do crap with them, I'd rather you just didn't. You and have just, to like, go not... all out or don't do it at all. If you can't actually interrogate your power fantasy, then just do your power fantasy. Right. Because there is some base appeal there and it facilitates an action film. What you've given me is some pseudo-political thriller that sets up an actual worldview and then goes, actually, though, when it comes down to it, we've got really good weapons that are good guy weapons and they've got the bad guy weapons. And if we fire our good guy weapons at the right, right. point, the good guy weapons... And because like, it all relies on the fact that the UK, for some god-known reason, have like a massive missile ship just off the coast of Japan, just shooting there. I'm like, what is that doing there? Yeah. That's a diplomatic incident. Very, very conveniently <laughs> located. Like, oh, Jesus Christ, what, what the hell? That's worrying. Um, and... M, who is presented as an arsehole for the film and is like hard drinking. Um, but then he gets a toast is... to Bond at the end and it's all okay. Oh, nah. <laughs> um, but M breaks so many international protocols to right. be the one voice in the room. It, it, it goes back to, I know that you are a fan of The Dark Knight um, and I know most people are, but it reminds me of the political strain of that where it's like, sometimes though, we do need the bad guy that's willing to break the rules right. to save the day. 
And that's what really saved the day. And it's just, uh, it's just so conservative, which was is what I expect. But then it's just like, hey guys, maybe the government is bad. I'm like, mm, I'm in. Okay, hello. Right. It's it like, acts like it's going to take a different stance, but then instead just reaffirms the stance that you were expecting, which makes it that much worse. Mm. Which just... really annoys me because there are so many people. And did you see when this the first reviews hit and the ridiculous comparison was they're like this is the last jedi of the james bond series i have not seen that i don't know what you mean by that i don't know what that's supposed to mean at all that to mean but what i think that what i think i mean they mean by that is two things one is like oh it's the one film in the franchise that starts to question some things and some myth breaking i'm like okay but it doesn't ultimately right and the other and more toxic thing they mean by that is oh it's the one film in the franchise that tries to make amends of the issues with diversity in the wider franchise of actually we're going to have some really important roles women we're going to have a kind of a more racially diverse cast and we're going to make those central about it Mm -hmm. and we're going to bring those dynamics into the film which this film does do it does it in a lot of frustrating ways (laughs) i i because i like if I'm saying it correctly, Lashana Lynch's character is yeah. is great. I like that character. I like the idea of her being she's the new 007. 007. It's yeah. great, and she kicks ass throughout the whole movie. But then again, she's badly written, but she does a good performance. Right, like you have this character that you feel like you're starting to get on board with, and then again, it turns it against itself, and she's like, I, "No, never mind. I'm not 007 anymore. You're oh. the best, James Bond." And it's like, "What? You've been?" She's been making fun of him for being old and obsolete the whole time. Yeah. And then again, it just reaffirms that he's the greatest spy, and she doesn't matter. And it's like, "What? Why are you doing?" The others were the best. It's it's, right. it's Clint Eastwood's James Bond at the end. It's been like, <laughs> "Well, actually, me with my magic EMP watch is gonna save that the watch. day." So, All you need. Yeah. I, I know I'm overstepping my positionality here, so please listen there with the largest pinch of salt. But I, it, it, it's such a. This is not on the challenge at all. She's. She, I agree. She is. She is good in this movie. I think she's probably written, but that she didn't write that. She has good performance. Right. But her casting is brilliant for the very precise reason of I like the James Bond films. I've seen all of them. Um, I have political concerns with them, but I like the movies. Um, but James Bond is a racist franchise. It's been a racist franchise, especially since the first movie uh, with Karen Bay, etc. The way that that island is presented, it's like the superstitious kind of like characters who think there's a dragon on the island. It's been racist from the beginning, and it's been misogynistic from the beginning. So replacing 007 with a black woman is a very, very specific statement to make. That's cool. It's not cool when that black woman becomes a validation technique. When you then right. use her to go actually this misogynist dinosaur colonial artifact turns out he's pretty cool when you get to know him i'm like that's so manipulative and i've i listened to as many people do the um uh Kermit and mayo film podcast I listened to it for years and years and years and they quite like the film for reasons i don't agree with but are interesting and they've had quite a few people write in and they've been very vocal about this for being awful to write in being like oh this movie like now they're trying to get to the woke crowd and they're putting like feminism in it, it sucks. Now I'm like, you people are so bad at reading a movie. Like, right. That, the movie isn't that. You shouldn't be mad at that to begin with. But I, I, I don't know what you think about The Last Jedi. We've never spoken about it. Are you a Last Jedi fan? I have only seen it the once in theaters and I have not revisited it. I was kind of middle of the road on it. There's a lot of things that I really like and some things that I really was not a fan of. Um, so I'm kind of mixed. I, I mean, yeah. but I like Ryan Johnson and I like what he was trying yeah. to do with it. 
I, I, I really like it. Um, I've watched it a couple of times. I watched it a couple of times at cinema. I've watched it since. I really, really like it. And I now actually find myself on, well, I've got lots of friends who don't like that movie and don't mm-hmm. like it for legitimate, legitimate reasons. But the biggest backlash against that movie was sexism and racism. And I now understand more my friends who are like, I don't like this movie, but I don't like it for those reasons. I'm not one of those people. Right. And they're overshadowing my actual exactly. movie. And now there are people being like, oh God, I can't believe Bond got woke. I'm like, it didn't though. <laughs> like, I'm there being like, the movie's bad. And I'm like, but not, I don't, but I'm not one of them. I, and actually they're wrong about it because they can't read a film. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know why it goes so much out of its way to do that with that character when she is great and she should be, mm. you know, kind of replacing him, but then to constantly just go back to him being so important, it totally, totally undermines it. And it feels wrong even for Daniel Craig's Bond because yeah. this this movie totally recontextualizes him as Bond in a lot of ways. And it's like it's trying to ignore the fact, like all the stuff that he's done in the other movies where he's not that person at all, you know? Like mm. now, now he's just, he's like, I love Madeline. There's no, yeah. you know, there's not really like the, the stereotypical Bond girl, which is good, but it's also yes. like that was there for every movie before this. So it's kind of hard to act like, oh, he's a good guy and everything's great. But it's like, yeah, he's really not, you know? Let's not just forget all of that. <sighs> But that's the thing that's actually pissed me off with these movies, apart from Casino Royale the entire time. So I do like Skyfall a lot, but there came a point where it's like, you have ruined the chronology here. I don't care about Bond chronology. I know it sounds like I actually don't. But when they go for this hard reboot, and then they keep on putting in these little nostalgia grabs, I'll be like, but he's got the DB5. I'm like, right. why? Doesn't How? totally add up. Like, that doesn't make any sense. What's going on here? And this movie does the same thing. I've been like, there's a, like, I, again, I love the old Bond movies and even, but with huge caveats. And there's, there's a bit where you see inside um, MI6 and it's got the posters of the old M's on the wall. And it's got, you know, um, the current Ray Fiennes. It's got Judy Dench and Bernard Cribbins is there as well, which may not be his name. I hope it is. Um, but there is the poster of, 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 of old M. I think that's his name. I apologize, it's not. So I'm like, ah, so this film does take place in that continuity. So that character does exist. So who is James Bond then? Right, why there's does no he consistency have that DB5? with it. And why are you making jokes about on Her Majesty's Secret Service? Like in the opening sequence, they do the line from On a Majesty's Secret Service and it ends with the song from Majesty's Secret Service like we have all the time. They do the We Have All the Time in the World line and then the soundtrack has a bit of the motif from that song and I'm like, so we're alluding to this film, but this film also existed in this chronology. Or did it? Right. Who it's, is just so, it's just so messy. What? Like they just need to pick a side. <sighs> Let it, either it stands on its own or it doesn't. And either one is okay, but you can't be in the middle because it just doesn't work. Which has only mattered when they've started to take this as an arc, when this became... Right, exactly. I I think I was the only person, looking back, that was slightly annoyed at the end of John Wick 3 when it set up a John Wick 4, and I was like, I don't feel like I need another one. No, I totally agree. I was like, I actually wanted this to be a trilogy, and I'm a bit exhausted. I will watch the fourth one, but I was like, I don't need this to be an ongoing John Wick franchise. That was fine. And this movie was like, I didn't need this to be the Daniel Craig saga. And it's right. become the Daniel Craig saga by stealth. And I'm really annoyed about it. <laughs> and it's just like, continuity mattered, but they treated it so badly. And 
Quantum of Solace is to blame. Quantum of Solace is the problem. I have, it's been so long since I've seen Quantum of Solace, I could not tell you what that movie is about, other than I know I don't like it. Well, they, they, but they made it a direct sequel to Cinerayal, and that was the issue being like, Bond is sad now, because of the last movie. Like, right. what, the last movie existed? What? I'm not used to that. You like the way this movie looks. For the most part, I do. I, I am admittedly just a sucker for some, some cool lighting and sequences, and I think it does a pretty good job of that. I know you don't feel the same way, um, but I, for the most part, I like how this movie looks. I like the, the set pieces and the lighting. I, I, I somewhat agree with you. I think there are bits in the movie that are very, very pretty, but I think it's mostly because they're, they're in pretty places and it's hard not it's to do this true. much money, right. not make pretty places look good. Like they pick nice locations. My issue with it is there's, there are no lingering moments of beauty in this film and there were in the previous ones. Spectre is a very pretty movie, mostly because Deacons and Mendes together are a, a, good, a good visual pair. And my problem with No Time to Die is the no time element of, of the title, which is so film of there's just so much in here and the camera is always moving the plot is always moving right. there is no time to stop to breathe to have a moment and to me that kills the cinematography of i'm sure this guy is a great dp and i'm sure there is some visual splendor here but it never prioritizes aesthetics or atmosphere or time over anything but there needs to be a car chase in the next five minutes and then they're going to talk for a bit and then let's get Lucifer Satan back in and blah blah, blah. <laughs> I, I had no time for it to be beautiful right because there were there were no images in this film that have stuck in my mind at all apart from the one image which was them standing in the poison um swamp in the bunker yeah but only because that looked like a scene from Skyfall and I remembered how pretty Skyfall was I I do agree that not much of it stands out and sticks with me like especially Skyfall does, which is just a, a gorgeous movie. Mm. And I definitely, I do know, I mean, this the cinematographer shot First Man, which I think is a really good looking movie. I know, I, I agree. We looked this up for one. So yeah, First Man there's a capability cool. there, but yeah, I agree. I think this movie just moves too fast for anything, for any time to allow any of that to happen. No time for cinematography. Uh, <laughs> of plenty of not. time to die. There is death. <laughs> um, oh. Do we have any, do you have any concluding things that you need to get off your chest about this movie? What haven't we complained about yet that needs to be complained about? There is so much to complain about. There is a lot to complain about. I'm sure as soon as we uh, stop recording, I'll think of something mm. else that that drove me crazy. Um, but I think we've covered most of it. I think my biggest constant irritation for throughout the movie was just my complete distaste for Rami Malek and his character. That just yeah, I, does not work for me at all. I agree because I'm like, either be that film or don't be that film and I don't like this film anyway <laughs> but I mean yeah I think my main takeaway was just I was just so angered by the the tease of the beginning and also that it was never well written all the lines are bad all the jokes are bad it's yeah. so clunky it's so slow it's so of the past it feels like and I'm not going to blame the person to punch up here because you know what if I got given that much money to right. <laughs> do a once over over this you couldn't fix this script the narrative is bad like it is structurally poor you cannot punch up this film but the style of the dialogue it ends up with feels like a pastiche of someone trying to write Bond. It feels right. like they are trying to write a Bond film. They're like, here are the Bond jokes. And it is so someone... Have you ever seen the I'm Alan Partridge TV show? I have not. I don't know why you would have done <laughs> but, So a, Brit a British sitcom, and there is a movie of it, but there's a, I'll send you a clip at some point. But there's, an, there's one of the episodes I think opens with the main character, Steve Coogan plays Alan Partridge, where he is, he wants to put on 
I think the spy who loved me, but he can't get the tape to work. So he stands there and does an entire imitation of the opening of the spy who loved me. <laughs> and to me, this movie had that vibe of like, we're doing a bond thing and we're making a bond thing with bond stuff in it. And this is how bond right. sounds like, because we love bond. Like, no. Right. It's such a tonal mess because you have all of that dark and gritty mm. Daniel Craig stuff which is fine because that's what the tone that it's set up the whole time, but then it adds in all of this. Born, the post-truth <laughs> Bond film. Of course. But then it adds in all of this like campy classic Bond stuff that just doesn't mesh with that gritty side at all. And then it just, none of it works together. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's crap. It is crap. I'm sorry people that like it. I don't understand. I really understand. I dislike it more than you do, but we both um, <laughs> definitely not a dislike fan. it. Not mm. one that I'm interested in revisiting. I'll continue to revisit Casino Royale and Skyfall, but mm. not this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, thank you for joining me. Um, we will be back soon. We've got a couple of movies. I, I, I actually know when Dune comes out in this country. When I see Dune, we will, we will talk about it, I'm sure. Apparently that half of the movie is good. You liked that half of the movie? That half of the movie is pretty good. <laughs> the half that was released. <laughs> yeah, they, re- they released half a film, apparently. Uh, at least David Lynch made a whole movie all right you know <laughs> there's something to be I'm, said for that for sure i'm no jack davenport i'm not here to defend dune all right i'm not here to say <laughs> Dune is a good movie that ain't me hi jack um however it is a film it's a whole film it is. but um speaking of jack davenport we i'm going to we, we're with him hopefully to go see this new halloween film so i think that we, we, we'll talk about halloween next time probably yeah, it'll be a very good one. We've watched pretty much every every Halloween movie that's uh, out there together over the past months We will have done here. by that point, yeah, because yeah. we've only got Halloween 2 left. And you think Rob Zombie's there are two Halloween Halloween two. Twos. <laughs> No, there are three Halloween 2s. We have the second Halloween 2 left. Yeah, that'll be, that'll is... be interesting to cover. Uh, Halloween Kills, I like. It's a movie that I like. Okay, okay. Does, so... does it live up to the title in the same way this movie does? I think it does. As we know canonically, Michael Myers <laughs> is called Halloween because, as I'm sure you remember, I think it's in Halloween Five when oh, it's my favorite moment in the entire franchise. I'll bring it again when someone turns around to Michael Myers and says, "Don't try and pull any of that Halloween <laughs> shit with me." It's the only <laughs> thing that anyone remembers about Halloween Five. <laughs> oh God, it might not even be Five. It might be Six. It might be Four. I don't know. But in one of them, someone says that line, and I was so happy and quoted it for the rest of the day because it implies that someone in that film has seen the rest. of the movies and goes hey you're michael myers those halloween movies don't know about halloween stuff with me i know what you do you with your mask of william shatner no 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 no, no. so yeah and, until next time when we decide to think of spoiling things again um i have been steven and i have been vaughn and i hopefully will continue to be um but until then thank you for listening and as always uh, this is a twin geeks production the twin geeks uh, as calvin keeps reminded me if you ever wonder why does calvin over enunciate the the on the twin geeks <laughs> that's because of me <laughs> sorry about that damn it um, steven <laughs> yeah sorry um so yeah uh, the twin geeks cast um with occasionally with guests we've both guests on it but primarily with punch um congratulations punch you just got married um so yeah uh, david and calvin with that one we also have ranking monsters which you've been on as well i have um which is Calvin and I's Kaiju podcast. And we also have the Daydream cast with Pavlos and Brogan, which I've also been on. I am now the only person <laughs> who's been on everything. I've been on it all. I've done them all. You're taking over. We can't let Calvin be on this because <laughs> then he will have been on them all. Because as soon as I went on the Daydream cast, I was like, mm, I'm still a step behind Calvin though. Because he had completed the streams. But now I have made a new stream 
You'll just have to keep making new shows to outrun Calvin. Yeah, and until he makes that hockey podcast part of the family, then I'm like, yeah, I'll talk about hockey. Fine, Calvin. Yeah, I'll pretend to love hockey. I'll incept him. And his music podcast that he's doing, I'm like, yeah, I I know music. Yeah, I can talk about an album. (laughs) I like quite a lot of hip-hop, thank you very much. How dare you say that? I have seen the insane clown posse live. You know that. (laughs) I've also seen Kendrick live. That was a much better concert, but it's less funny to say. Um, <laughs> anyway, until next time, we're thinking of spoiling things. We'll be thinking of spoiling things again. Uh, check the website. Read Vaughn's stuff. He's written loads of stuff recently. He's seen Titan. I haven't. I'm pissed off about it. Um, his view's great, though. Whatever. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>